0: hello everybody welcome back to the breaching extinction podcast hope you guys had a wonderful two or three weeks uh we've been a little bit inconsistent with the four episodes i've been super busy kendra's been super busy and liam's been busy too so um sorry for the inconsistency but you have liam and i here this week kendra couldn't make it she's in the process of moving um and busy with her new job so it's just us how you doing liam
1: I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Not hot second.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, we are doing our poor episodes. Um, so for those of you that are not familiar with our poor episodes, they are our shorter episodes. Um, and the last two, like, series of them, we focused on a book. Um. And we've read two to three chapters a week of that book, um, posted episodes biweekly for you guys to follow along. Um, So right now we're reading Alexandra Morton's Listening to Wales, chapters 17 through 19 this week. Um, And next week will be our final episode with this book before we move on to something else. Um, And we are not totally sure if we're going to continue with reading books for the poor episodes or picking topics. Uh, But if you guys have feedback or requests, please send us a message on like Instagram, email, something like that. You can email me directly. My email is Erica but yeah, let us know what you think. Um, awesome. So we do have some updates as far as things that have happened, and we're late reporting this to you because this happened over two weeks ago. So um, on August 13th of 2022, a fishing vessel carrying 2,600 gallons of fuel sank off of San Juan Island. So Um, it had a bunch of fuel that leaked into the surrounding waters. Um, they had a cleanup. A lot of people had some speculation on, you know, why they were doing things in the way that they did. Um, and it sounds like they're getting the boat out of the water now. It took a long time. It's been nearly three weeks at this point. Um, Liam, do you want to share more about exactly what happened with the timeline and all the updates that we've had over the last three weeks?
1: Yeah, so this was the Aleutian Isle. It was a uh, it was it's a fishing boat that uh that sank uh just off the coast of um, of of uh, of San Juan Island off the Lime Kiln area near where that uh where the lighthouse is and uh all the guys, don't worry everyone on the boat got out in time. There was someone there to help them out. Um but yeah, so the boat was carrying a couple 100 gal uh, few thousand gallons of uh of diesel which was starting to leak uh which had uh started leaking into the uh say the sea it made a, a slick roughly 10 miles apart or t- not 10 miles apart but just 10 miles long and some of it was spotted in uh in vancouver's uh in uh, waters but um the coast guard was there uh to cl- clear up the spill and because this was diesel oil it it is much it's not nearly as dense as say crude oil so a lot of it was able to um evaporate over time uh and yeah so the diesel uh, the coast guard uh wrapped it up um and there was a lot of and the co- uh to but to make sure to make sure that whales and you know porpoises and penipids or any mammals or any uh didn't get too close uh to the spill um the coast guard as well as a couple organizations like you had wild orca you had i think it was the center for well i don't know if the center for whale research was there but i know that uh wild orca and uh orca sound were there um to use uh acoustic deterrents such as uh such as the okami pipes i think that's how you pronounce it which was the same pipes that were used in uh during the capture area and some uh, seal bo- and some seal seal bombs on standby in case, uh, which you know those are just more uh, noise deterrent. And it didn't look like any whales got too close, except for just recently there was uh, there was a transient. There were two transients that were spotted near, and uh, and yeah, that's basically that. The fuel has now been isolated. and All the that is no longer leaking from the wreck. Uh, the there was a bit of netting. Drift net that came off of the boat that has now been recovered. And um, and the reason why it took why it's taking an extensive period amount of time, because a lot of people were questioning, you know, why is this taking as long as it is? That's because um that with, when you're dealing with a sunken boat, you can't just charge in and and pick it up. You have to make sure you have to analyze the ship, make sure that it's actually standing still. Because initially the ship wasn't standing still, it was being carried by the current to much lower depths first it was 100 feet and then it dropped to 200 feet and now it's just resting on its side and also uh they had to bring the equipment up from i think i think it was california that they got it from uh the new barge with the equipment to recover the boat and uh, yeah that's basically why it t- takes so long because you need to the wreck needs to be analyzed first before it can safely be uh, removed um and there was there was some uh, but it does kind of show at the same time that washington is lacking uh some uh is lacking uh the uh tools needed to respond uh, respond to potentially respond to an accident a little bit quicker yeah and hence that's why some people have also made claims started saying hey if we if we don't have any kind of quick response you know large-scale quick response then maybe we shouldn't uh, there's there's a proposed uh pipeline uh called the tmx pipeline that is gonna that would ship oil through the sailor sea and that's and this recent incident even though it was very small has got people uh talking about maybe not uh, going forward with that, with that project
0: for sure yeah it definitely is like very complex it's not like Problems like these are very challenging to solve, often complex, because not only are you dealing with like the environmental hazard, but that general area is very dense with boat traffic. So you've got lots of boats moving things around um, and you've got people in the area as well. Um, And also it takes a decent amount of funding. So at the very beginning um, the National Oil Spill Liability Trust Fund authorized $130,000 for pollution response, which I am sure is a bit higher now. Um, but- yeah,
1: it's up to 200, I think, or no, 400,000. It's over. It's this is now they've now had to donate over a quarter of a million dollars just for this small operation alone,
0: which is. I would say vital, you know, the Southern residents were seeing the area like that day. And we know that they're one of the most contaminated, um, animals. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty tough situation, but it sounds like they're getting it fixed kind of as quickly as they can. Um, and if anything, you know, obviously we, we hate to see these tragedies happen, but they're, they're always a learning lesson for how we can get things done sooner. So, or how we can do them better or what resources that we need to take care of it. Because obviously, again, highly complex issues. Very, um, very- so yeah, they're getting the barge, they're getting the boat slowly out of the water. Um, and hopefully the ecosystem will bounce back soon. It's already quite fragile. Um, so hopefully it won't do too much damage. But I mean, an oil spill is, is a pretty big deal, especially in an area like this. Um, but we'll just have to see how this all plays out and hopefully they did like a decent job of, of doing this. Um, anywho, so moving on to the book that we read. So we just read chapter 17 through, um, 19. And I, I feel like this section has been definitely one of my favorites so far. Um, like, Alexandra Morton really just is a superhero in my opinion like this woman has been through so much just with like her general life and like trying to survive in Echo Bay um, and in chapter 17 it talked a lot about her um, trying to survive and like the f- chapter starts out by saying single women don't last long in Echo Bay um, and you know she goes on to talk about all the different skills that she had to learn and man is she a jack of many trades uh, learning to cut her own wood Eventually she goes on to buy a flat house. Um, and then later on in, in the chapter, she goes on to be a fisherman. Um, so, or a fisherwoman, not a fisherman, um, which I have mad respect for, because I feel like if you're going to like get involved in trying to better an industry, you should have that experience firsthand. Um, but in chapter 17, she mostly just talked about um, getting acquainted to the Bay. And then she talked about what she learned from the transients and she started to notice some of those behavioral differences. What did you think of chapter 17, Liam?
1: I really liked it. I really liked how, um, how Morton, which, yeah, you're right. She is, she absolutely is a, a jack of all trades. She's been through so much and she just, uh, sh- and she just powers on. And I do like uh, how, um, uh, she ended up becoming uh, what was it? A fisherman or is it fisherman is that the Fisherwoman
0: right? or a fisher person
1: fisher person a fisher person um right after and yeah the 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 a large amount of uh skill building that she was able to do and especially being on her own with a kid and she eventually she'll talk she talks about this later about she feeling like uh she hides her she had to hide her femininity a little bit of uh, while doing uh while doing this but you know this it this just goes to show that like you know (laughs) know, no women are fucking powerful
0: (laughs) hell yeah they are liam i love yeah
1: yeah and they are and yeah she absolutely is just amazing and that she's you know she's learning all these skills and she's getting to know the way of everything she is living as she described she's living just like the rest of the coast she talks about how you know she smells a certain way and she had you know this and that in her hair you know and it's just it's it's really cool it's really cool getting uh, watching her learn all these awesome skills and then getting to do it by themselves and then just very quickly mastering it
0: yeah definitely um but yeah i mean it sounds like life in echo bay is really hard and i really liked how she talked about how you know people there kind of thrive off of the community rather than monetary options. Um, and like, you know, not monetary options, I feel like it's not the right word, but it's commercial
1: options. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mainstream.
0: Yeah. Um, and they all like help each other out. I love how her neighbors brought her firewood when she basically decided that she was going to stay. Um, but yeah, no, she's like, she's just a powerful queen. Like that's all there is to it. Like, I don't know like I've seen people like kind of like you know question her scientific validity at times and like I just like I don't understand how we could expect more from her like she does so much and like I I do feel like her science is sound I feel like in the beginning with like John Lilly like that association is like a little bit not the best but it was a learning experience nonetheless um but like you know I love the connections that we make throughout the chapters of like, it starts with the whales and then it turns into the fish. Um, and I love that she was a fisherwoman and, and went and worked on these boats as a deckhand and she brought her son. Um, and you know, she saw those interactions between the whales and the fishermen. Um, and like, I love the part where she was thinking that these people were about to shoot at the orcas. Um, but they ended up just having binoculars and cameras and were looking at them.
1: Yeah, that was my favorite. I, I really liked that. Part. That was also my favorite part of the chapter when she was like, oh, boy, these are the kind of gun-toting people that they've always were. I hope they, they better not shoot somebody on, you know, right in front of me. But no, they were just up on their boats with binoculars, looking checking the transients out. Which yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, it
0: is really no. cool. Which,
1: um, 10 years, I mean, you know, just couple years prior to her writing this that well maybe not a couple maybe like 10 years prior that that her her uh assumption may have been uh may have been accurate but it's just it's crazy how much of an impact just her by herself on this boat had on the whole on the whole like west's view of killer whales yeah you know to to go to watch fishermen go from Aim, aiming at killing whales with rifles to then you know looking at them through binoculars it just shows you how how drastic of an impact she and a bunch of other and a bunch of other scientists like her had
0: yeah definitely um and i like to like you know i think she did a really good um like she wrote really well how ugh, sorry words are hard i'm going to edit this my brain is like mashed potatoes if you can't tell I've been working like seven days a week for the last like month. So it's, you know, <laughs> a little crazy. Um, actually I did have a couple of days off to go see my friend, but anyways. Um, but I think that she did a really good job of illustrating what it looked like when the fish farms came in and how like these fishermen had worked for decades to try to figure out the best waters, tides, currents, all these things for, the best fishing opportunities. And then these fish farms came into the, what we call red zones, which were like very dense areas with fish. Um, and the fish farms essentially just ruined the natural ecosystem and people would be pulling up nets and maybe would find a bunch of old species and now can't find any at all. Um, so I think she did a really good job at articulating what that looked like for the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, those chapters, They uh, th- these chapters start acting as a segue almost into her into her next book which what is it not on my watch her most recent book this these kind of chapters if you haven't read that book these kind of act as a good segue
0: yeah
1: but yeah it's the all this it was and it was overnight too because the industry was growing a little bit uh in in norway and china and and scotland i think it was and scandinavia i don't know if scotland well anyway it was in those in those nordic northwestern parts of europe and that comes over and then you know that industry then came over to north america because they realized how wide of a space that there is and how there's not much you know to them there was to those fishermen there weren't much there and so like oh this is a perfect place to you know to farm or or
0: or yeah, exactly. a great habitat for these animals or yeah well, not the habitat but a great place to to farm them
1: to farm, to farm, the farm these Atl- the, to farm these uh these atlantic salmon um and you know people there were a lot of those a lot of those communities weren't fans of it but you know at that point the provisional government you know of british columbia they didn't they didn't seem to mind very much because they they <laughs> alexander talks about how she was win she wrote so many letters to the point of like wincing at whenever she was you know writing these pages, literally thousands and thousands of of um of of just just her thought just her thoughts and the science and the evidence on why not to have these. and it's ironic because originally she was actually for this. She didn't think this wasn't too bad, but eventually she found out about the the spread of the diseases within those uh, pens and how the pens were in those red zones. At one point there were more of them in the red zones than in the, in the safe zones. And Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like not, there wasn't much, there wasn't enough of a pushback per se.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just all that knowledge from all those fishermen of just studying everything is now, is now gone just because of, what the, the Atlantic salmon did to those runs with all those diseases that were spreading. Cause it's a wildfire. Cause it's all just, she talks about how, because it's just one species of Atlantic salmon, it can just spread very easily. Whereas it's difficult for a disease within Pacific salmon to, to, to populate just because of the variety, uh, just because there's so many different kinds of fish, unless of course, an alien uh disease thing comes in
0: yeah definitely um and she talked about too how i thought it was interesting to bringing up how the resident orcas were not interested in eating those fish um and that there was one transient orca i think it was like f1 or something like that that was swimming around the pens and the fishermen like thought it was trying to come eat the fish and she was like no if anything it's going to keep the sea lions away because it was a transient um but i i feel like too the fact that you know, it's the same species that the resident whales would eat. Well, not quite the same species, but it is it within the same group, um, that they wouldn't even recognize it kind of as food. I feel like that goes to show too, just how unnatural a lot of this is. Um, and also too, I like how she talked about the government and how, like, basically the government is supposed to help you and like be this trustworthy, like protecting thing. And it like, in most circumstances with most things i feel like it isn't um and like you know she talked about like in the in the last part of chapter 19 like talking to a member of government who said that they were going to help and she just was like very skeptical of it understandably and the fishermen were also skeptical of it as well because you know and, and i really do feel for people in government because you can't know the details of every single thing that you try to address, whether it's like socioeconomic or like having to do with public health or the environment. Like you can't know all those details. Nobody can. So it's hard to make those decisions. But at the same time, it's like consult with the experts. Um, so yeah, I don't know. She talked about the distrust in government and the lack of help that they had, Um, which hopefully by the end of the book, maybe there will be some turnaround. And I know that she has made some Tremendous strides in helping to remove fish farms up in Canada.
1: Yeah. Which that's now, I mean, a lot of them are gone now. And some of those, some of the salmon that, and some of those runs are starting to come back now. I don't know if you saw, but there was a, she made some video of all these salmon that were coming back. The same salmon that were pushed out by the farms are now coming back. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how fast nature recovers yeah and just give it a chance
0: yeah definitely um but I, I really like these three chapters again I think she's just like a totally remarkable human being who has done so much and had to deal with so much like it's hard like she was living in like really environmentally challenging and economically challenging conditions and like I was raised by a single parent so like I know some of what she was going through but i can imagine that the magnitude of that was like much more given that she was in such a rural area um and you know didn't have so many resources um yeah, yeah. so far you- good book do you have well not so far we're like pretty far into it um,
1: basically at the end Yeah. Or near the end
0: have any final thoughts liam
1: not really i mean this was I I these chat these three chapters were just great and it just kind of shows how uh how resilient Alexandra is and how powerful she is and how fucking awesome she is.
0: Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Well, we will get this episode up tonight, and then um we will be launching season four of Breaching Extinction this coming Friday, September 9th. So stay tuned for that. Um, But thank you all for joining us and we'll have our last episode with Kendra on this topic um, in two weeks, two to three weeks, because let's be real, we, this group is on a struggle bus a little bit. We're doing our best. Everyone is so busy and dead at this point in the year. Um, All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.